It's verses 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press onward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will re reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, in their glory, in their shame, with mind, with mind set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Bill. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, Lord, we are in great need of you on this morning. Uh, I know that because we're always in great need of you. Lord, we have your very great and precious promise to be with us always to the very end of the age. And I pray that that will indeed be the case this morning. Father, as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear from you. Father, that the eyes and ears of our heart would be fixed on you. And that you would transform us. By your amazing grace. The Lord, for this one that would open your word this morning with fear and trembling and preach your gospel, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. In Jesus' holy, righteous name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is good to be with you again on this Sabbath morning. Uh, those of you that are listening from afar, wherever afar is, uh, welcome. You know, as, um, as I meet with people, hang out with people, have conversations with people, more than anything else, more than anything else, what we talk about is their disappointments. Their disappointments with God. Uh, their disappointments with others, their disappointments with themselves. We talk a lot about 
disappointments. When Paul opens up this section of this passage and he says, not that I've already obtained this or, uh, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's hearkening back to what he had said in the previous passage. We talked about it last week where he was all these great things and he had this awesome resume. And a part of having that awesome resume was that Paul was expecting, like all the others would have been expecting, that God would then, would then reward him, would be pleased in him, would pat him on the back, give him a fist bump, a holy fist bump, but say, good job, Saul. You've persecuted even the church. Well done. And Paul would have found himself disappointed with God because God didn't give him that holy fist bump. Instead, Jesus meets him on the Damascus Road and convicts him of persecuting the church. Not just persecuting the church, but persecuting God himself. If Paul had maintained his previous way of thinking, he would have been very disappointed with God. So as we open up this, this passage this morning, we want to talk a bit about those disappointments. With disappointments with God, disappointments with, with Christians, disappointments with non-Christians, disappointments with self. We look at forgetting what lies behind and pressing on towards what God has for us. We, we have to recognize that a lot of what we have in our past brings disappointment. So there's times I'm disappointed with God. There's times I'm disappointed with others. There's times I'm disappointed with myself. And we're all like that. We become disappointed with God because, well, a couple of things. One, because we think he owes us. We've done, uh, we've done things right. We've obeyed. Uh, we've, we've checked off some holy boxes in the back of a Bible study book. We've persecuted Christians. We've persecuted non-Christians. We've persecuted politicians. We've put the right things on the blogs, on social media. Surely God will reward us now. Surely he owes us a holy and very public fist bump, Right? We would be very disappointed with God at that point. God does not act upon our actions, but upon the actions of Jesus Christ, his son. We become disappointed with God because we think he owes us. And when we move into, into that, that thought process where what we're saying is, in effect, God, you owe me. Therefore, I am God and you are my genie. I am the master, and you are the slave. You owe me because I've done it right. Don't you wish, God, that you could have done it right like me? And we would become very disappointed with God. Another part of that is that we're disappointed with God because he doesn't perform up to those expectations that we have created. Paul, Saul, previously had expectations of God. Those were expectations that had come from the traditions of his people, uh, from his culture, from what he knew of the word of God, and, and from his own thirst for power and self-righteousness. So Saul was, was disappointed with God. He had, he had created these expectations, and God didn't live up to Paul's, Saul's expectations. Do you have expectations of God that have not come from his word? If you do, you will find yourself disappointed. When I find myself disappointed with God, it is because I have, I have ceased to understand that, 
that he is the one that is all wise, not me. He is the one that has all knowledge, not me. He is the one that loves perfectly, certainly not me. He is the one that sees the whole big picture, not me. He is the one that is God, not me. So my disappointment has to end in in a heart of repentance before his throne. And that, that beautiful reminder from him that he loves me not because of what I've done, but because of Jesus Christ. Do you find yourself disappointed with God? Paul would say, put it in the past. Put it in the past. And press on towards the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You find yourself disappointed with, with other people, first with non-Christians, but then also with Christians. We find ourselves disappointed with non-Christians, sometimes for similar reasons, because we have expectations of, of what that non-Christian is going to do. Um, Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ and you're saying to yourself, well, you might be disappointed in me, but hey, I'm disappointed in you. I get it. I get it. We're going to talk about disappointment in, non- in, in Christians next, okay? But first, let's hit the non-Christian part. You find yourself disappointed with people that aren't Christians because they don't live up to your expectations. Why would they? Really, if you're expecting someone that's not a believer in Christ to worship Christ, that, that, that's a disconnect. If someone's a believer in Jesus Christ, they trust Jesus Christ, their lives become oriented around Jesus Christ, their understanding of right and wrong, moral and immoral, truth and, 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 and justice and, and lies and injustice, their understanding of all that becomes wrapped around and, and, and flowing from Christ himself once they become believers in Christ. But if they're not believers in Christ, then all of that trust and truth has no place. It has no foundation in their world. And, and for, the, for the non-Christian, if you're a non-Christian, this, this is where it comes down to. For the, for the one that's not a believer in Christ, there is no foundation for you for truth or for good or evil. Who defines that? Who defines that? Your government? Really? <laughs> Who defines that? Your mom? Your dad? Your grandma? Your great-grandma? Who defines that? It all falls down at some point. For if there's to be some absolute understanding of truth and justice, some absolute understanding of good and evil that it has to come from someone who, who is above all of that, someone that, that is outside of, of the wishy-washiness of humanity. It has to come from God himself. So if you're a Christian, you're looking at a, a friend that's not a believer and they're, they're disappointing you in their understanding of truth and goodness and evil, well, of course, of course. Why would they not? And maybe you're disappointed in them because they've, they've heaped pain upon you in some way. We'll get to that in a minute. But here, here's the thing. It's not just the, the person that is not a Christian that can be just a disappointment to you. If you're a Christian, let's be real. 
we can be disappointments to others. I can. And so we can be a disappointment to that person that's not a believer yet. They're expecting, rightfully so, us to live and act a certain way because we say we're following Christ. And they're expecting us to follow Christ. They hear that Christ is, is, is gentle and lowly in heart. They hear that Christ is holy, that he is trustworthy, and they expect those that follow him to be the same way. And so we disappoint others that are not believers and we disappoint each other because we're really, we're really not all that. We're striving onward, straining onward, pressing onward. I love the verbs. We'll hit them in a minute that Paul gives us here in this passage of pressing onward. But we haven't attained all of that yet. We haven't been made perfect. Paul acknowledges that in his own world right here. So the, the biggest and perhaps the most frequent disappointment, if we're honest, is a disappointment with self. Because we forget these things. We forget who God is. We forget who we are. We forget humility and we take, up, we take up a thirst for power instead. We disappoint ourselves because we didn't get it done right last week or last month or last year or last decade or any time in our lives. We, we keep pointing back again and again and again to everything that we've done wrong in our world. The way we didn't love as we ought to have loved. We weren't in this place and we should have been in that place. We weren't there and we should have been there. We, we did things. We said things. We... We lived in a certain way. We betrayed others that we loved. And, and so we're, we're disappointed in our actions, in our hearts, in our thoughts. If you were to sit down and talk with Paul and you were to ask him how he felt about his persecuting the church, he would have, he would have talked of disappointments and he would have talked of repentance, and he would have talked of pressing on and forgetting what lies behind, and pressing on towards the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have this idea that, that if we do things all right and all perfect, then God owes us, and God, that the church is going to grow. Even your leaders, you put pressure on, on the leaders. We all do. I put pressure on the leaders. The leaders do everything right, and the church will grow. And the church will be awesome. And my life will be awesome. Really? Let's go back to the very beginning, okay? We had two. One woman and one man. We had Eve and we had Adam. Did they do it right? No, they did not. Eve did it wrong. The moment she grabbed the fruit... The moment she grabbed the fruit, there was disappointment brewing. The moment she gave it to her husband who was with her, there was disappointment in the whole relationship. And they both eat of it. And then God walks into the garden and says, where are you? He already knows where they are, but he wants them to admit it. He wants them to name it. I'm here. I'm hiding because I was afraid. I'm naked and I'm ashamed. And God says, what happened here? And Adam, instead of standing up, standing up in front of God and saying, I blew it, God. He says, 
that woman, you see that woman? She did it. You think Eve knew disappointment at that point? Oh, yes. You want to talk about chaos in a relationship? It was happening. And she had a right to be disappointed in her husband because he threw her under the bus. Disappointment with others. Adam was disappointed in Eve. Eve was disappointed in Adam. They were both disappointed in each other, and they were scared of God. They were naked, and they were ashamed, and they were afraid. So let me ask you, did the success of the church depend upon their success or failure? Did it? Did the success of God's plan depend on the success or failure of Adam or Eve? Did it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. For there is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah. We have a Redeemer. So does, let's go here. Does, does success of failure of past leaders of this church does that determine the success or failure of this church or of the growth of God's church here at EP? Does it? Or is God bigger than that? Can you be disappointed in past leaders? I know you can be disappointed in future leaders and present leaders. I get that. I hear that. Can you be disappointed in past leaders? Of course. Of course you can you could be disappointed in yourself when you look in the mirror. The point is, is God dependent on that? Is God's kingdom dependent on the holiness or the righteousness of his people? And the answer is no. If it was, we would all be dead. And his kingdom would have ended in the Garden of Eden. You might not have noticed, but his kingdom is spread throughout the world, and it continues to grow. God's bigger than all that, so much bigger than all of that. So these things that we, we raise up, these expectations that we raise up and we hang on to with a death grip, Paul's teaching us here, let them go. Put them in the past. Be done with them. Forgetting what lies behind, you press on. Well, we talked about disappointments. What about pain? Paul had inflicted a lot of pain on a lot of people, right? There were a lot of, a lot of excursions he had been on, missions and journeys he had been on, where he had been a part of those that were arresting others and bringing them back to, to prison where some of them would have been killed. Paul has inflicted a lot of pain on other people. And yet even that, he's saying, I've got to leave it in the past. Jesus Christ has paid for it. My friends, every one of us has inflicted pain on somebody. Maybe that pain has been great. Maybe it's simply the pain of a small betrayal. Maybe it's a large betrayal. Maybe it's much larger than that. Paul says, let it go. 
Maybe you don't even know the pain that you've inflicted on others. My guess is that there's a lot of things that we've done to others that we don't even know about. Ask the Father to show it to you and then go to those individuals and ask for their forgiveness and repent before the Father and press on. Maybe it's pain that's been inflicted on you. Before Paul had had become a believer, still someone had inflicted pain on him. Got it. He had inflicted a lot on others, but uh, someone had inflicted pain on him as well. And even that pain he puts behind him. In this place, as he's in Rome and Philippi, he's already experienced most of the torture that he will experience in this life. And he's saying, forget it. Leave it behind and press on towards the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, people have, 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 have hit you with pain. Heart pain, pain of words, uh, emotional pain, pain of betrayal, maybe physical pain. I get it. Been there. It hurts, it stings, and you can carry it with you for a lifetime. I want to encourage you to let that go as well. Let it go. Hanging on to it does nothing for you. It does nothing. Christ himself has experienced pain far beyond what you and I will ever experience, even all of us put together. We, we look in, in Romans in chapter, chapter 8, and we, we read that the, the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that will be ours. My friends, when you see Jesus face to face in heaven, all the pain and the sufferings of this world, they pale, they fade. The glory that you have in Jesus Christ is so much greater. So even that that pain that others have inflicted on you, I'm sorry, I know it hurts, don't dismiss it. But don't hang on to it and let it wreak havoc in your life either. Well, it's easy to to talk about letting go, right? I mean, Paul talks about letting it go and forgetting what lies behind. But practically speaking, how do you do do that? Well, I'm going to give you five P's real quick, okay? Um, I encourage you to write them down or come back and listen later. But uh, first, pour. Pour into his word and let his word pour into you. Pour into his word and let his word pour into you. That's where you're going to find the truth, Speak truth to yourself. When you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're telling yourself what a, what a failure you are, and uh, you know the old, old saying, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, might as well eat worms. You never heard that before? Well, you have now. And your kids might even ask you what worms taste like. It's not good. Um, Let the word of God pour truth into you and see who Jesus says you are. God the Father says you're my son, you're my daughter. Jesus says you're no longer a servant, you're a friend. You're not a slave, you're a friend. You're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's who God says you are. Let God's word pour into you and you pour into, you spend your days, your nights in God's word. And the disappointments and the pains begin to take less prominent places in your life second p is proclaim it i don't mean name it and proclaim it but but yeah name it just proclaim god's word in your own life but also name the thing name the stuff the disappointments 
Don't be afraid to tell God, I'm disappointed in you. I'm quite sure he already knows. Really. It's also okay to speak to your, your, your spouse and your friends like that. Say, I'm disappointed in this. With humility, with humility, but name it. I'm disappointed in this. And, and get it out in the open and talk about it. Think of Nathan and David in 1 Samuel. David's, um, he's taken Bathsheba, uh, Uriah's wife. That's bad enough. But then he has Uriah killed. Puts him out on the front line and tells everybody else to pull back. And Uriah, an innocent man, is left alone to be killed by the enemy. And David thinks he's gotten away with it. But the prophet Nathan comes to him and helps him to own it. You are the man, is what Nathan tells him. And once it's out there in the open, then we get to these psalms that, that David has written. Those psalms are written after that. Psalm 51, Psalm 32, where David himself is naming this sin before God and, and, and speaking of how his bones waste away before the Lord. To name it, speak of it. And the, the third P is people. Find yourself a community of people. Church, uh, but also a small group. Listen, if you're still at home because it's more comfortable and you've become accustomed to sitting on the sofa and eating your Cheerios and your waffles, you know, I get it. I get it. You don't have to shave. You can sit there in your pajamas and eat your pancakes. I get it. God's called us together, though. So do not forsake the fellowship together of the saints, Hebrews. God's called you to be together as a church. So get up off your sofa and come to church. Say, but I don't like those people. I get that too. Sometimes we're not likable. The church of Jesus Christ is messy. If we weren't messy, we wouldn't need Jesus. We're messy, but we're still the bride of Jesus Christ. And all of her messy beauty, she is the bride of Jesus Christ. And you're no less messy than the church that you abhor. So get up off your sofa and join in the body of Christ. People gather together with people. The, the body large, but also small groups of a few people where you can be honest and open. And they can be honest and open with you and pray with you and help you grow. The fourth P is presence. Jesus Christ is with you. You are not alone. You're not alone in the struggle, in the pain of, of hanging on to the past and wondering if you're going to be disappointed with God in the future. Sandy, I'm going to fly back from, uh, from Lyon to um, Brussels to Cincinnati to Birmingham. We'd been gone for 10 days uh, on a mission trip in Europe, and uh, I promise you it really was a mission trip. Um, and... Uh, Oh, it was a nice mission trip. And so but we hadn't seen our kids in 10 days, and we're eager to see our kids. And so we, we land in Cincinnati, and the weather is just getting worse and worse and worse, and planes are not taking off. And so they tell us we're going to have to wait. Well, um, you know my sweetheart. She is really anxious to see the kids. And I'm thinking maybe it would be better to wait a few hours. You're like, no, we've got to get to the kids. So finally they come up and they say, yep, the, the plane's going to take off. Uh, there's 30 seats on the plane. It was a 30-seater, a small commuter plane. Uh, and we need six of you to get off to lighten the load. <laughs> I'm thinking, me? <laughs> yeah, 
You know, when the pilot wants to take six people off of a 30-seat flight, I get nervous, right? Well, I'm an obedient husband of a, of a passionate mama, and she wanted to see her children. So we get on the plane, and it was the absolute worst flight I've ever been on in my life by far, by far. I mean, it was up and down and dropping and rising and blowing sideways and turning like this. And, you know, when your flight attendant is sitting down and, and they've got a death grip on the, the, the arms of the chair and their face is just white as a ghost, you know there's a problem. There was a problem. And I was very nervous. I looked to my left across the aisle and there's this young man uh, from a very small town on the Mississippi-Alabama border he had flown a large plane to Cincinnati for a boys club uh, event where he was a, a delegate. And this was the first time he'd ever been on a small plane. Only second time he'd ever been on any plane. And this young man, junior in high school, is scared to death. I mean, I've never seen anybody like that on a plane. He was just, he was really scared. And um, so I overcome my fear and began to, to pastor this kid. And uh, you know, I asked, what are you doing? Who are you? Tell me what you do in school. What are you, what's your favorite thing to do? Been going to calm down a little bit, but just a little bit. And then he turns to Taylor and says, so what do you do for a living? Where, where have you been? I said, well, I'm a missionary. I've been to Europe, and I'm on my way home. He says, so you're like a pastor or something? I said, well, yeah, yeah, I am. And he just took a deep breath and said, Phew, God will never let this plane crash with a pastor on it. <laughs> I did not correct his awful theology. <laughs> I knew better. The, the point is that he suddenly had this, this idea that Jesus Christ was with him and that Christ was going to take care of him. And y'all, this kid knew peace. And we talked about Christ for the rest of the flight and his relationship with Jesus. God has not leave, left you in your past, your present, or your future alone. He is very present with you. The fifth P is prayer. Keller says that prayer turns theology into experience. Turns theology into experience. Because Christ has taken hold of me and heaven is before me, I pray. Because Christ has taken hold of you and heaven is before you, you pray and you pray and you pray constantly praying. All of that stuff, the disappointments, the pain, your successes, your triumphs, your trophies, and your failures, they're in the past and you leave them in the past, and you press on towards the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Before you is a new life, a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that all things have passed away. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a new creation in Jesus. You're a new creation not in the way that, well, um, you're a better version of your old self. You know, you're not, you're not a better version of your old self. I'm sorry. You're, you're something totally different. You're a new creation, like a cow that's become a horse. You know, so you're a new creation. God has made you that new. Let the old things stay in the past and live as becomes a follower of Christ. He gives us two, two things, a negative and a positive here in this what is before us part of this passage, pressing on in new life. The, the negative is... We have to pay attention to it. In verse 18, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So if they're enemies of the cross of Christ, why is Paul telling them this? Because if they're enemies of the cross of Christ, they're enemies of the church of Christ, they're enemies of the people of Christ. 
They're enemies of, the, of, the, of, of Christians. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their ability. Their, their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. And when it says their end is destruction, he's not just saying that they're coming to a, a place of destruction in their own worlds where they will be destroyed. He's, he's not just saying that. I think more than that, he's saying their goal is your destruction. If they didn't have that as a goal, then they're not bothering the church. Why would Paul warn the church about them? Because these individuals want to see the church divided, destroyed. Paul's warning them, the church, about these individuals, these individuals whose, whose God is their belly, that is their own pleasure, they're self-centered, their glory, and they glory in their shame, they glory in their evil, they take great, great, great joy in an evil sense. And what they're doing to the church. Paul warns them about them. Paul warns the church about them because those individuals will come into the church and seek to destroy and tear down the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to be warned of those things as well and be aware and keep our eyes open because those things happen even, even today. It's not something that happened back then. It happens even now. When, when Scripture speaks to us of wolves and sheep's clothing, we have to understand that there, that there are individuals that will look as a, as a sheep, act as a sheep, even buy as a sheep. But their end is your destruction. So be careful, Paul teaches them. But he says, still you press on. He gives us a whole bunch of positives, a whole bunch of verbs here. Let's just hit them quickly and they just kind of roll like a crescendo and it's beautiful music. He says, press on in verse 12, press on. In verse 14, he says it again, press on. It's, it's this idea of, yeah, there's something in the back and the, the road ahead is hard. The mountain is steep. There's hurdles in the path, but press on anyway. And not just press on, but, it, but he says, straining forward in verse 13. You, there, there's a, there's a, a, this notion that, that's hard, but you do it anyway. It's not this idea of let go and let God. I've seen the bumper sticker. It's not biblical. Yes, God is the one that is carrying you forward in sanctification. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby the believer is more and more enabled to die to sin and live to holiness. It's a work of God's free grace, and yet he calls you and I to be participants in that as he moves us forward. That's what grace is. Grace is more than just an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God moving us forward, God enabling, giving us the, the freedom, the ability, and the desire, F-A-D, freedom, ability, and desire to live as he calls us to live. It's the Holy Spirit living in us, living through us. So there's a, there's a, there's a straining forward. And he tells us to, to hold true to what we've already attained. In other words, we, we go this far and, and then we keep going far. We don't, we don't go backwards. One of, the, one of the things I learned when I was a, a Baptist was this idea of backsliding. Well, I hate the word. <laughs> you know, but backsliding down a mountain or backsliding into the sins of the past. You know, what, what Paul is saying here is press on. Don't fall back into to the patterns of your past life. But but, but press on, hold true to what you've already attained. Take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you in Christ. In verse 17, he says, join me. In verse 17, he says, keep your eyes fixed. And in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, stand firm. These, these verbs that he gives us are not passive verbs. They're very active verbs where we are taking charge of, of, of what's going on in our world, in our steps, in our walk with Christ. 
We're not just sitting back passively and saying, oh, well, if I grow, I grow. If I come closer to Jesus, I come closer to Jesus. It's not that kind of a thing. God wants us active in our growth. In fact, he tells us that those of you that are mature should take such a view of things. So if, you, if you're mature as a believer, you think you're mature as a believer, um, understand that we're really not. We've got a, lot, a long way to go. Uh, but even those that, that believe you're mature, you strain forward. You press on. You take hold. You strive onward, ever onward, ever upward, ever onward and ever upward. He says, I press on to make it my own. I press on. It's like God's giving you a swimming pool. It's your swimming pool, but you swim in it. So often we live as if we're not new creations, as if we're still in the past. God says, leave it in the past. Be done with it. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Look onward towards heaven, towards a high calling of God in Christ Jesus, moving ever upward. Last thing here. In verse 21, he tells you that you're a citizen of heaven. What in the world does that mean? We talk a lot about citizenship in our culture today and in our news today. Um, you're, you might be a citizen of Annapolis. You might be, you might not be. I, I live just on the other side of the river, so they won't, they won't count me. Um, you, you might be a citizen of Anne Arundel County. Maybe, maybe not. You, you're probably a citizen of Maryland, right? Most likely, you're, you're a citizen of the United States. Everybody here is a citizen of Earth, Right? But your greatest citizenship is in heaven. All of those other things will come to an end. Guaranteed. All of them had a beginning. And all of them have an end. The one that does not end is your citizenship in heaven. So Paul is giving them something that is permanent. That is grounded not in the wishy-washiness of man. But grounded in the steadiness of a holy God. Your citizenship is in heaven. And he says you live out of that citizenship. That citizenship, even though you're not living in that, in that city yet, it is still working a power in you so that you're able to let go of the past and live in the present and the future in Jesus Christ. Dennis Johnson in his commentary on Philippians, he says Paul's call to follow his footsteps implies the promise that God's grace is strong enough to snap us out of the patterns that the past has imprinted on our minds and our hearts. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, who we are is no longer determined by where we have come from, but instead by where we are going. My friends, you are citizens of heaven, sons and daughters of the living God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, no longer servants, but friends of Christ. So we press onward, ever onward, always onward, always striving towards Jesus with the grace of God and faith in his finished work. Father, will you help us in this? Lord God, we are in great need of you. We need you to transform our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, where we are uh, living in the past and we're hanging on to disappointments and pain, where we're hanging on to triumphs, where we're hanging on to our, 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 our accomplishments and the things that, that we're, we're looking to you for, a holy fist bump. Father, we, we leave all those things behind, but we need help in that because those things have imprinted uh, identities on our hearts and minds and, 
and lifestyles and patterns. Father, we need you. Father, we pray that you would so transform us by your amazing grace that we would live as becomes new creations, followers of Jesus Christ, with all the peace and the grace that comes with that. Further up and further in through Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand and sing.